It's not just mothers who appreciate it, but parents, a number of milestones in your children's lives. One of those is when your child transitions from that stage of crawling all over everywhere to beginning to take his or her first steps. It's exciting, but at the same time, it's terrifying. Because now you realize there's another danger that really wasn't much of a threat while your child was in the crawling stage, that danger called gravity. Now you have to worry about a child that is upright falling, and sharp corners and dressers and and baby-proofing the house means something entirely different once your child is walking around. So falling becomes a real concern. Fast forward to the later stages of life, And actually, the same is true. The older we become, and our balance isn't what it once was, whether we like it or not, the the cane, the wheelchair, the walker becomes our necessity. Because we realize the very real danger or risk of falling at that age. When we were younger, a fall would probably not mean a whole lot, but at that age, it could result in broken bones, And as we age, we don't heal the way that we used to or as quickly. So there could be much more serious complications as a result of falling. So it's a a real concern early on in life when we're taking those first steps and then later near the end of, of life as our steps aren't as sure, falling is a real danger, at least physically speaking. When you think of that, that time where we live most of our lives, the longest stretch of our lives between those two periods, we aren't really all that concerned about falling. Because as I said, you'll, you'll bounce back, uh, you'll get up, and you'll heal relatively quickly. A fall isn't that big of a concern. Again, physically speaking. But what about spiritually speaking? This morning, it's actually interesting as we consider where we stand spiritually before God that that same phase of life that that probably is the least on our radar, the one between those first steps and, and before those final steps, is also inversely proportionate to the, to the time of life that we probably should be most concerned spiritually, even though we, we aren't. You think about it. What happens once children come into the picture as a family. Then suddenly, parents who may have kind of put on the shelf their spiritual uh, lives suddenly realize, well, wait a minute, now we've got to talk about baptism and what are we going to teach these kids and what about confirmation? And, and their, their spiritual health becomes a very big concern to us up through middle school, high school, and then, and then they kind of embrace their faith on their own and we, we go on our, our merry way. And then again, at the end of life, we give attention to where somebody's at spiritually, the the aging, the elderly parent or grandparent who has suddenly been diagnosed with something or who has a fall and, and we realize their mortality. Suddenly, it springs into our mind, wait a minute, I don't know where they stand. I don't know what they believe. I can't remember the last time that we've talked about Jesus. Suddenly, these things matter to us again. At the beginning of life, And at the end of life. But during that very long stretch in between, we get busy. Life happens. 
We aren't so concerned about the spiritual stuff during that phase of life because we've got so many responsibilities, so many obligations, so many other things. And, and yes, it's not as if we have totally cast off our faith, but again, we've shelved it, we've put it off for a little while. We'll revisit it at a later date when things slow down. And we all know how that works out. So this morning, as we hear the words of our Good Shepherd, we want to be very aware of the risk during that season of life between those ends, between the bookends. And though we want to be aware that even Scripture gives us many warnings against falling away, there is a difference between being aware of that and being worried by it and concerned about it, to an unhealthy degree, terrified. And this morning, Jesus Our Good Shepherd wants to give us the assurance, the comfort, the hope of what it means to be his sheep. A comfort, a hope, an assurance that, as you saw, he was not able to give to those who were hounding him in Solomon's colonnade that day in the temple, which would have been our our modern-day Hanukkah, around that time of year. And as these individuals, they were not circling Jesus. In fact, the the word there isn't gathering around, learning from him, wanting to seek to to understand better, but they were kind of the picture of of wolves circling their their prey. And and I think I I envision if this were recreated in the modern day and age, you would have the, the white van located nearby with a number of individuals in it with screens and earphones monitoring. And those that are circling around Jesus would have wiretaps on them. Because when they asked the question that they did, it wasn't because they were speak, seeking something spiritually. It was because they were seeking to incriminate Jesus. And they wanted more evidence. They wanted to, to open the door for Jesus to incriminate himself with their response to the question, with his response, rather, to the question that they asked. In verse 24, John tells us, they gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And it sounds so innocent. It sounds as if they're really searching, really seeking, really wanting to understand. But we know their hearts, and so did Jesus. And his response reflects that. They were not wanting to hear that he was their hope for salvation. In fact, they were pretty firm in what they understood and what they believed. They knew the answer. They just wanted to get other witnesses to hear Jesus commit the most grievous offense and claim that he was, in fact, the Messiah and claim that he was God. And then they'd have him right where they wanted him. Jesus gives them a rather straightforward, blunt response. I did tell you, but you do not believe. And the tense of those verbs indicates that Jesus had repeatedly told them, but still to this day you're not believing. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. Ouch. You do not believe, you are not my sheep. Therefore, I can't speak to you any words of comfort because the issue is not whether or not I claim to be the Messiah again. The issue is not who I am. I've already made that clear in the past. The issue here for you Jews is that you refuse to believe it. The issue is on your end. You're not believing the words that I have clearly spoken. But it's immediately after these harsh, blunt words that Jesus then pours out some of the most comforting 
in all of Scripture to those who are his sheep. Words that that give to us who doubt and who struggle and who despair and who sometimes wonder where we stand because, ah, we did it again and again and again. And we 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 wonder if we really can be numbered among those who are in the flock of Jesus. And so he speaks these words of assurance. And my prayer, as I I said earlier, is that we walk away today beyond the shadow of a doubt, confident, comforted by the fact of where we stand with our Good Shepherd, specifically because of our Good Shepherd. The words that follow are a description of security and safety. Think of of every time that you get into a, a car, while there are all kinds of uncertainties, you don't know about the driving conditions, you don't know about the other drivers out there, yet, to a degree, you feel safe. There are all kinds of things that, that are inclined to make you feel safe. Your seatbelt is buckled on to make you feel safe. You know that if you do get in a collision, the airbags will be triggered. And even before any of that happens, there are cameras and sensors and beeps and dings to warn you of any potential danger. All of these things collectively make you feel a little bit safer. Just as all of the words that Jesus shares in describing the relationship between sheep and their good shepherd give us security, safety, and comfort. To you and me, his sheep, listen to to what Jesus says. He says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My sheep listen to me. And they follow me. Immediately we we gravitate towards saying, well, well, what does that mean? How can I really know if I, I listen to or if I follow Jesus? The point of these words is not for us to then gauge how well we listen to or how well we follow. Because if we immediately infer that Jesus was giving us criteria by which we should gauge how good a sheep we are, there'd be no sheep in his flock. There isn't a sheep who listens perfectly to the shepherd's voice all the time. There isn't a sheep who perfectly follows the good shepherd without wandering here and there. So that is not the point of Jesus' words. He's not giving us criteria to say, are we good enough to be sheep? He's saying, if you ever have the desire to hear my voice, if you long to listen to me, if you want to follow me, even if you wander from time to time, even if you listen to other things, at the end of the day, the fact that you want to listen to the good shepherd and follow him is evidence that you are sheep. Because quite frankly, those who aren't his sheep have no interest in listening to Jesus or following him. So even as misguided as we are, even as dumb sheep who do eventually and at points in our lives ignore or, or doubt or question the words of the Good Shepherd, the fact is that when we listen to a shepherd, his is the voice that we listen to. Just as sheep will only follow the voice of their shepherd and not another. And Jesus goes on to explain why we listen and why we follow. He says, because I give them eternal life. Because our good shepherd gives to us something that we cannot find anywhere else. He gives it. He doesn't say, here are the metrics. Here are the checklists that must be followed. Here's everything that is required for you to earn eternal life. He says, I give them eternal life, which is why we want to listen and follow him. Peter demonstrated that he was one of Jesus' sheep. Earlier in John's gospel in chapter 6, we know, G- we know Peter's words well. Chapter 6, verse 
68. Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Why would we listen to anyone else? Why would we follow anybody else? You alone have the words of eternal life. Jesus continues. Not only do we listen to him and and follow him, not only does he promise to give us eternal life, but he also says that he knows his sheep. I know them. Jesus isn't saying, I know of them. He's not saying, I've heard your name. It came up once or twice in conversation. He doesn't say, I know you from a friend of a friend of a friend. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your needs before you need them. He has a plan in place already to address your worries and concerns before you have ever expressed them. More so than how well we know our Good Shepherd, which will never be perfectly, His knowledge of us is always perfect. He knows us fully, knows us perfectly, never lacking. And speaking of that word never, there's other promises that Jesus gives in these words that comfort us as his sheep. He says that they will never perish and that no one can snatch them out of his hand. Never. Do not let our inclination, our natural desire to somehow let our confidence in our relationship with Jesus be based on or tied to our performance. Don't let that rob you of the very clear, very plain, very straightforward promise that your good shepherd gives you. His sheep, you, will never perish. No one will snatch you out of his hand. There's not a but here. It's not a conditional if. This is Jesus saying, you who are my sheep have this confidence. You have this promise. So to those of us who have or who are wandering, Jesus says, you'll never perish. To those of us who are wondering, Jesus says, you are my sheep. But how can we know? How can we have this confidence? Because of our good shepherd. And because of the fact that, as we heard in Revelation, one of the last verses there, that our good shepherd is not just our good shepherd, but he doubles as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your good shepherd is the one who laid down his life for you to make you a part of his flock. Do not look at these words of Jesus as a metric. Do not take away from these that God has somehow given us a litmus test by which we should question our own performance if it's good enough to be his sheep or that we should use this criteria to judge others' sheep who may or may not really be in the flock as if Jesus says, here, here's the words, read these, assess these, and then I want you to to gauge and police everybody else and you determine on the basis of these words whether they're in or out on how well they listen to me or how well they follow me. If you want to look at that criteria, as I said before, there are no sheep in his flock. That's not why Jesus gives us these words. 
Jesus speaks these words to despairing hearts, to those who doubt, who aren't sure of where they stand before him. And he says, that's why I'm the good shepherd. Because your status as sheep in my flock is not dependent on how you live or what you do or what you haven't done. It's based on the fact that I willingly gave my life for you. If you want to decide or determine if you are a sheep in the flock, do not look at the mirror because you will see nothing there that gives you any comfort or confidence to be numbered among his sheep. Instead, look to the cross and look to the tomb. And then know exactly what Jesus is talking about when he promises you, you will never perish. No one will snatch you out of my hand. Let that be the comfort that Jesus intends it to be. Because God has not given us his word, Jesus has not spoken to us these words this morning for us to, to question or wonder on the basis of our performance. He's given us these words, he's given us his word to point everyone to Christ. So that beyond the shadow of a doubt, when we are listening, when we are following our good shepherd, when we see that he alone is the one who has gifted us with eternal life, all doubts, all despair, all questions, all uncertainty wash away. The empty tomb is all the proof that we need. So this morning and tomorrow and the next week, when you find yourself struggling, when you're discouraged by your inability to, to measure up as a Christian, when you aren't good enough, when others are all too quick to point it out, point them to the same source of comfort, to their good shepherd. And thank God that your good shepherd has laid down his life for you. And because he did, you have the comfort, the confidence that you will never perish.